Hello, hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Gal. I am that gal, Elizabeth. Welcome to episode four. Today my guest is Shane. He is Chad's dungeon master and I thought we could talk about that. So hey Shane. Hey Elizabeth. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So you are a dungeon master. That I am. How did you start doing that? So I've liked the idea of D&D for a while but what it really came down to was that there's got to be someone doing it or you can't play and I was the one who wanted to get started so I went ahead and just took the initiative. So your first campaign was on a um was a pre-made campaign then? Um I think probably I started off pretty early on just making my own content just because I had a lot of different ideas that I wanted to share and that gave me a good opportunity to to get that out there. Cool. So I have played one game of D&D with you. I was a evil person. Yes, you were Encon Astando, I believe. I think it was definitely... Yes, it, cleric it of the god of tyranny and thunder. Yeah, and I had metal so that it would conduct my electricity. That's right. That I enjoyed it. I think what I didn't like about D&D was it was a little boring until I got to talk again. That makes sense. That's that's always a challenge is whenever you're playing D&D, then the more people you have, then the more time there is between your turn and everyone else getting their turn. Yeah, and well, because I was like a pulling character. I just was in that one game. My character didn't die, so I'm sure if I wanted to come back, you would rewrite it in. That's right. Um, But because I just was in that one game, everything else that was happening had no effect on me. That's true. Yeah. As, as get a kind of guest character, then there was a bit of setup required to get you into the system, get you going. Yeah. Yeah. I reviewed this game right after we played it, and I would not put it on my theoretical shelf because I thought it was a fine game. I could understand why people enjoyed it, but I did feel like it took just a really long time to get back to my turn. I didn't mind setting up my character. Like, you and I did that together, and I thought that was really fun. Right. That's... A lot of people, whenever they start looking at D&D, then they'll come up with character ideas and that they'll want to wanna play, want to tell the story. And especially with as much of a challenge as it can be to get six people or more in a room at the same time, then there's always the a lot more downtime than there is a chance to actually play. So a lot of people tend to accumulate five or six different character ideas that they'd want to play at some point. Yeah. Oh, and I can see that. Well, and, like, the game I played a lot was happening with the other characters. Like, Courtney, one of our friends, found some belt or something. Right. And that was, like, a big deal to everybody else. But yeah. it just had no effect on me. D&D is a, D&D is a kind of game that you want to be a part of the story. If you're coming in late, then you can have a bit of a challenge getting into it, getting adjusted and getting invested in the story just because 
this is someone else's story rather than yours. Yeah. But if you come in with a good group of friends and you all know each other's stories and your characters are friends with each other. Well, and I still had fun. Like, I would definitely play it again. I just don't think I would start a group or, like, say, like, hey, guys, I'm going to be there. Sorry, I just snapped because I was talking. Um, Hey, guys, I'm going to be there every single Thursday. I wouldn't. I don't think I would enjoy it that much. Now, you kind of hit on the next thing I want to ask you. You have a six-player group on average or... Yeah, more or less. I think there's like, what, nine people total who can come in and out? Yes. Including yourself, though, and you're not a player in it. Uh, We have generally me plus up to eight players will, most cases, only get four, but our regular group that I plan for is about six. So what is your ideal number? I'd say that four to six is probably the ideal number. With four people, then action goes a lot faster, something that you were talking about. You go from your turn back to your turn again, and as long as everyone knows what's going on and knows what they're doing, then you can get through encounters pretty quickly and get on to the, the next part of the story, and it can be a lot of fun. With six, it can be a little bit more of a challenge balancing all of it, but it's still reasonable. Once you get about past six, though, that's when the you start having to make adjustments to to balance things and to keep things moving because the game is really only designed for four to six people. Mm-hmm. You can do it with anything, but there's always the question of... Four to six, excluding the DM. Yes, excluding the DM. Apologies. No, I, I don't know, so I'm genuinely asking. So, with you guys having so many people in your group, I know that like there's been times that I've called Chad at 11 o'clock and I'm like, hey... It's Christmas time, I'm on my way home, and he's like, oh, I'm still playing, and I'm like, wow, because it can go, what's the latest you guys have ever gotten, like, four or five hours? I think probably, yeah, four hours is about as late as we've gone. With with an adventuring group, then the expected time for you to be able to get anything done is at least two hours, because that's the minimum amount of time you're going to take to play an encounter, do the setup, do the... uh, Clean up after the fact. In-story cleanup, in-story setup, not actual, like, picking up dice and everything. That doesn't take too long. <laughs> but um, getting into it and getting things moving um, in the story can take you a little bit of time. So that's that's about the minimum time you should expect. If you want to get the story moving or if you've got a particularly heavy storytelling, something big going on, then people are generally going to want to finish out whatever's going on. So then you might stay longer to try and get that wrapped up. Yeah, that is a long time to play a game. Um, If you guys hear those little, like, in the background, Shane is a very animated talker and keeps clapping his hands, but I did tell him. Um, So, which is my bad habit. I say um so all the time. Uh, now when you play or let me rephrase that you are dating one of my really good friends or you're engaged to one of my really good friends sorry. i am you're engaged to one of my really good friends did she get you into dnd or did you get her or did you guys kind of discover it together i'd say i got her into dnd but she already liked the idea of role-playing games she before she'd met me had played a couple of role-playing games and really liked that idea of the cooperative storytelling uh D was just a different system that i was able to introduce her to 
because it's got some very clean rules that are very well-defined and uh, some of the other systems she had were a little more complex, let's say. There's always a, a bit of challenge in finding the right system for whatever story you're trying to tell because if you have something that's got a lot of rules that don't belong in whatever scenario you're using, then there's a lot of extra chaff in the background that you've got to manage and maintain, and that can take away from the story. So it's, it's always very important to find what system you're looking at for your story, because if you're using the wrong system, then you'll still be able to tell your story, but you might have a lot more time spent managing numbers on a sheet than getting to live out your fantasy. Makes sense. Um, that's cute that you guys kind of got into it together. Now, your friends, Kevin and Vince, did you play D&D with them before? Or were you was the time you played with Alyssa the first time you played? I had played with Kevin and Vincent before. It had been quite a while, and I'd only played this latest version of D&D once. But I haven't had enough experience playing with them to know that I like these rules and mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed the core concept behind them, which was a bigger focus on storytelling and less of a focus on um, video game style, here are the <clears throat> rules, follow the rules kind of stuff. So that's when I, when I decided I wanted to do another session of an RPG, then that was what I went with. RPG being? Role-playing game. Obviously I knew that because Chad plays them. Um, but we, I don't think we said it earlier whenever we, whenever we said RPG. This current campaign you're on, how long have you been doing it? I've probably been playing this campaign on and off for two years. And that's a very kind of up in the air number because while technically we started two years ago, the amount of sessions we've played has been once a week or two weeks if we're lucky. It's always a real big challenge getting everyone together with the, the conflicting schedules. So I'd say that if we looked at actual number of sessions we've done, probably no more than 25, 30, or 40. Sessions? Yeah. That sounds like over two years to me. Because, or I guess it's bi-weekly. That yeah. sounds like a lot to me, though. How long do you think this current campaign is going to run? Because you're making it up 100%, right? Right. So when you're running a campaign, then deciding where you want it to end is something that you might figure out at the beginning or you might figure out during it. Right now, the current end goal is probably going to wrap up at 20th level, max level for the characters. But a lot of people will tell stories that end at 5th level, which is right when people start graduating from uh, fight off the bandits to save the city kind of thing. So what level are your, char your characters at now? Our characters are currently at 6th level, which like I said, they're, they're currently at the save the city kind of metric. And at 10th or 11th level, they hit kind of save the country or even save the world. By the time you hit 20th level, you are gods among men, just walking the earth with great power kind of thing. So in theory, you're wanting this campaign you're currently on to last five to eight years. 
Possibly, yes, but ideally it won't take quite that long. That's that's a lot of time, but this is at this point D&D is less of I want to beat this campaign and more of a way to get together and socialize with my friends and spend time with them doing something that we all enjoy because we'll spend just as much time <coughs> actually playing D&D as we will actually just talking and socializing and filling each other in on what's going on in our lives. I think that's part of the reason I don't personally want to play it is I would need to know like four to six sessions this is going to be over. Like I would probably do a short campaign. Obviously there's going to be right. some variance like but I would need to know like like when I played Pandemic Legacy it was either going to be 12 games or it was going to be 24 games or somewhere in the middle but it was going it wasn't going to be what well, what would probably work for you best is one of the existing modules cuz Wizards of the Coast people who make D&D will put out existing modules that you can purchase and then you can have whoever the GM is just read out the campaign and the story and who the different people are out of that book and with those is GM the same as DM? Yes, GM is game master, DM is dungeon master. Dungeons and Dragons being such a a big name they they like to put their own initials in front of it but plenty of different people have different words for the same thing so yeah being a, a dm or a gm then you can just read out of that book and you've got a defined start and finish to the story and assuming players don't catastrophically take the wrong path and just like bring the entire world down on themselves then they'll probably be able to uh reach the end of that story and tell it the way they wanted to tell it. And then they'll be able to wrap up. And if they want to, they can tell another story with those same characters mm -hmm. or they can do something else. So your current campaign that you're on, do you know how you're going to end it? I do. I've got a plot line in mind that's sort of the end goal plot line, a big bad off in the distance who's been starting to send in agents of her power into investigate and try and overthrow the heroes while they're doing their thing but right now they are getting a chance to enjoy the rewards of the adventures they've been on so far they've saved a city they've stopped a demonic invasion and done all these cool things and so they've been given some great rewards like a plot of land and a guild hall and a bunch of money and so they're using these and they're getting a chance to take a couple of sessions to just build up the guild hall and meet the people they know. It's it's a chance for them to really enjoy the the things they get before the next big threat comes. So, do you like to bring back characters that they've already met? Like, here's Prince Philip from the third um camp, the third city we went to and stuff like that. Do you like to bring back old characters? So that's something that really does a good job of tying the world together. Mm -hmm. When players run into someone they already knew or get a chance to meet back up with someone they already knew, then not only do they get reminded that person existed and of the adventures they had and the times they had together, but they also get to see that that person's life has moved on without them. If you have an NPC in a video game, say, where you save that person's life or do whatever and you come back three years later and they're like 
oh my gosh, I can't believe you just saved my life. Then it kind of, kind of, it's like, I mean, yes, I did, but that's been a while. It's been a while. We, anything new? Yeah. Anything else happened in the last three years? Anything else? So getting a chance to see them again and see that things have changed makes it more of a living, breathing world. When you're coming up with your puzzles, dungeons, evil characters, what kind of stuff do you come up with? So... I guess let me let me ask you a completely different question because that one doesn't make sense. What is your absolute favorite thing you have come up with from the entire campaign? Hmm. Probably my favorite thing I've come up with for the entire campaign was a plot line called the Tomb of Forgotten Seers. A kind of little spot hidden away from the world that was the place that time itself was kept safe. And all the seers, all of the soothsayers and prophets of all the worlds, when they passed on, then they were entombed in this place, and only they could reach the center of it. So it was a dungeon that all revolved around the concept of time. They went in, they came across the first puzzle, and they hemmed and hawed. And So this was the puzzle dungeon. Yes, this was the puzzle this dungeon. This was also Chad's absolute favorite thing you guys have done. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. No worries. So they come into this place, they see the first puzzle, and they hand and haw, and they're not really sure what they're going to do about it. And because they took too long, then the puzzle dungeon has had all the puzzles go off, and their chance to reach the end is gone. And so they go all the way through the dungeon, and they reach the end of it, and they get sent back in time to the beginning. And because of some other thing that had happened in the past, they're able to remember that timeline that didn't happen, And so after enough tries, they're able to figure out what they need to do the first time, technically, around, Mm -hmm. and get to the end before all of the exit seal. And so because of this, we have this elaborate series of puzzles and this Zelda-style puzzles that revolved around a single magical item you get in the dungeon, but maybe useful later. So there was a lot of cool things that all interconnected and interlocked because of that. So when you come up with these dungeons, you obviously come up with a, okay, Courtney will do, will attempt this, Alyssa will attempt this, Chad will attempt this, whatever, whatever. When things don't go to this plan you've created in your head, as the dungeon master, do you penalize the group? Do you say like, no, 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 that's not, it doesn't work like that, guys. Or do you like say like, well, shit, they found a loophole. So... This is actually something that I'm very passionate about. What it's called when you try and penalize the group for not fitting the story you want to tell is railroading. And that is an exceptionally bad thing in role-playing games because you're coming across and saying whatever clever solution you came up with, whatever cool thing you did, well, I don't like it, so it didn't happen. And that's not what you're there for. The DM or GM is there to help people tell the story. Mm-hmm. They're there to help them uh, get a chance to live out their fantasies and to get a chance to tell their own story, too. And sometimes that means the players take the story you had in mind and go completely different route. They manage to find a solution to the puzzle you weren't expecting, and instead of a big challenge, they just ace it right off the bat. And as a DM, you got to be willing to accept 
that players are supposed to win. They are supposed to get to uh, the end of the story. But and... do you truthfully get really excited when they mess something up and it goes exactly like, oh, now I get to bring out this big scary ice beast. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's always an element of, you've fallen right into my trap. But at the same time, there's also an element of, I mean, I guess. I guess that works. <laughs> I certainly wasn't expecting it, but I guess that's what we're doing now. You're Sorry good, about the you're good. So, whenever a even in that particular dungeon, there was a scene where they just like used their mage hand and lifted a rope up over the lever rather than making an elaborate series of jumping puzzles, and I was just like, "Well, I guess this is this this is over now." It took me a minute to come to terms with it, but they completed that puzzle without having to try the challenge over and over again, and that was that. Uh, that was actually what I was thinking of because I remembered that puzzle because I remember you got a little upset and Alyssa was like, I think I upset Sh Shane. We got to do it in front of everybody because I was like, no, we aced this. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was just like, but, oh, dang, I didn't think of that. No. <laughs> but it was, it makes a good story after the fact and that's what's important. So what is your favorite character who you've ever seen come into the game? Like, ever. Hmm, my favorite character. I've put a lot of varying efforts into making interesting and unique characters that have their own backstory and world and everything, so that if the players sit down and say, I want to know why this guy is doing the thing he's doing, then there's something worth listening to. The same reason that game developers put little snippets of lore hidden in books and stuff around the world but honestly the one who i like the most is the one who engaged my party the most it's ancorn it was me guys no, i'm just gonna <laughs> keep going <laughs> the one who engaged my party the most was a guy named lewis cypher and he immediately became known as some other nickname that the players came up with but he really engaged them because he threatened one of the serving girls and that put him from oh he's a bad guy who does bad things to i want to kill this person personally <laughs> and in numerous ways and whatever whatever the actual motivations of the characters themselves suddenly the players had a personal stake in this they wanted to see this guy go down and so all of the scenes that we told from then on were much more action-packed and much more invested in seeing this guy get beaten yeah they wanted to see his demise mm -hmm. it was a villain people loved to hate when you're coming up with your dungeons what is your creative process like how do you come up with these ideas because they right. told me some really good ones the puzzle one was one that I thought sounded really fun. Um, when I played, I had like a million little guys come down and like were fighting with me. You had one where like their past characters came in and were their right. like were battling their current characters or something. Exactly. Yeah. So like, how do you come up with these? So the first rule of this kind of story is. It has to be interesting. Like everything else can get set to the side so long as the players are interested in it. 
So what I do is I look around and I see what interests me. I think about what would be a really cool scene to have? What would be a really cool place to do a battle in or a really cool dungeon to fight through? And all of this stuff, I think about what would be a really awesome fight or a really awesome story? So with the time one, what I really liked the idea of was getting a chance to play with the fact that the characters had time traveled before in this side story and having a, a place that was built entirely around the fact that they had managed time travel was the only reason they could do it. And so I set this up with that core idea, whatever it may be, and I say, okay, so what are some elements that tie into that? And I sit down and take each of those elements, the individual puzzles in the dungeon and say, Okay, so if we're doing a time thing, what if this trap goes off at the beginning and then you have to undo the trap? And then what if this trap or puzzle or whatever, you have to set things off in the right order? And I come up with a couple of unique ideas and then add a little bit of flavor to them to make them all fit the different theme. And then I'll sit down and come up with some alternative possibilities. What if the players don't stay on the rails. What if they just climb down to the bottom of the pit, pick their way through the spikes, and then climb back up the other side instead of trying to walk the tightrope? And I'll sit down and I'll try and say, okay, so here are the things that prevent players from circumventing it entirely, though I don't always succeed. <laughs> so they do get a chance to actually enjoy the puzzle rather than just skipping it entirely. Mm-hmm. I'll sit down and I'll put these together and then I will try and make sure that the dungeon itself is balanced against the players because one of the big ideas in D&D is that you've got an, a daily set of resources that once you run out of those that day, you're going to be a lot, lot less effective, whether that's health or whether that's the number of spells you can cast. So you got to make sure that this cool multi-part dungeon that you've got is not going to get the players halfway through and then find out they can't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Because while there's a worth in those stories where you get a chance to push players to their limits and have them struggle to survive, sometimes players should be able to show that they are badasses and they have the resources to get, the, get right through the things. When you're in a dungeon and you're playing... And characters do things that you don't really expect. Like the time I played, Courtney snuck off and she right. ended up in a pub. And then you had a whole storyline to go with that. So do you come up with like, okay, just in case, like here's my main plot, but here's like subplot B, subplot C. Or do you just kind of have your rough outline and go along with it? I'd say a little bit of both. Or did you, you know that yeah. she was going to do that? I mean, I didn't know she was going to sneak off, but... Really what it comes down to is I said, okay, so here's what was going to happen. So if this person saw that she was sneaking off, then what would they do? And because Courtney snuck off, then I checked to see, did they notice her sneak off? Or did, they su or did she succeed in sneaking away? And because she didn't successfully sneak off, then they followed her to that place and there was a big battle out front of her. Just kind of rolling with the punches and seeing what would probably actually happen. And the material I had for that wasn't quite as polished as the rest of it. 
I just threw down a bunch of people and said, okay, let's say they die in one hit. Or let's say there's umpteen billion of them, and fortunately these other guys take out ten of them per turn so that we could see with it. And that's the kind of thing that it's not as rough and it's not as polished, but you can adjust it on the fly and say, well, this, this might have actually been too hard, so fortunately here come reinforcements from this other group that heard the fight, or the guards showed up and they, they heard all the chaos and they came in and helped you clear out the bad guys. So do you ever find yourself going easier on them so that their characters don't die? Like whenever something takes an unexpected turn? I have and I haven't, because whenever the characters come up against fight where they might die, then I do try and give them the chance to fail, because if there's no risk of death, then it's not a very investing story. Yeah. If people aren't afraid for their characters, then they'll just rush headfirst into danger again and again and again, and that stops being quite as interesting. But at the same time, there's a couple of of fallbacks. So they've got like a safety net, yeah. but the safety net has some holes in it. Right. You've got a mechanic in D&D called saving throws, which is when your character hits zero hit points, they've got at least three turns for someone to get over there and heal them. And that can change if they roll really poorly or if they roll really well, but they've got a couple turns that they can survive without just instantly dropping dead. So that means that they... They can be at risk, and they can almost die, but get away by the skin of their teeth. But if they really, really have things go bad, then they could die. So there's always that risk, and it adds that little spice of danger. Have you guys had any characters die in this campaign? Not yet. The closest we've come was a comedy of errors in which one character ran up and threw a potion of silencing to try and keep the mages from chanting their spell. And then all of the mages pulled out big-ass broadswords. Oh. And that was that was not great for him. He went right down, and he started bleeding out. And one of the other people was like, I know, I'll protect him. And cast a cone of shadows so the enemies couldn't see him. And no one else could see him to heal him. And so he came this close to going down, but he managed to get out of it alive. Who was that? That was Kevin. That sounds like Kevin. Kevin makes a lot of poor choices, his, but they're always in His character is a run headfirst into stupid situations kind of character, though. He is. And also run away headfirst out of <laughs> any situation that looks vaguely threatening. So you are your fiancé's DM. I am. Do you ever feel like you give her special treatment? I don't want to call you out, but I will in a second. I would say that any special treatment that Alyssa gets from me is more due to the fact that she's the one most available to discuss potential plot lines with. She's got, she's said multiple times that she kind of hijacked the campaign, and that's true. Mm -hmm. That's also because we sit at home and we'll talk about her character or what's going to happen next, not in terms of like, let me tell you this surprise I'm about to drop on you so you're prepared, but... So what would you want out of this campaign kind of thing? More like a sounding board. Yeah, as a sounding board. And because of that, she does tend to influence some of my plot lines, and the big bad guy is someone she came up with in the backstory. But she's also the one who's come up with the most interesting backstory with the most ties, so I've got a lot more to work with there compared to, say, Mars, whose character is more of just, I'm crazy. 
Have you ever, like, thought about, like, sitting down one-on-one with each and, like, really delving into their backstory? I have, actually, in the past. I do try and pretty regularly get with people and make sure that I'm checking in on them and seeing what's going on with you, what do you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad was, his character, originally his life goal, his thing that he wanted was books. And he got his books. And so then there was a question of, well, why is he here now? So we sat down, we talked about it, and we eventually came up with the idea of his character being a clone, there being more of them out there. And why that is? Well, he'll get to find that out the next time we get a chance to sit down for D&D. But until then, his plotline's kind of on hold. So I make sure and try and reach out and give people something to get them interested and find out what it is they're looking for out of D&D. Go away. Not you, Shane. Chad. I figured. Um, so what I was going to call you out about was when I played... I almost had Alyssa's character dead. She was at like five health. And I was at like almost all my health because I was really murdering people. Yes, you were. And then she turned into a spider and she got her full health back. Now, I have done a lot of research on this. I actively looked into it and I've talked to a lot of people. She should not have gotten her full health back. Bitch should have died. So the thing about the (laughs) Druid class is their big thing, the reason that they're good at what they do is because they have the ability to turn into other animals. And the other animals they turn into have health bars that are completely isolated from the character's health bar. Yeah, but everything else that I've read has said that's not true. I'm, so I have to... you need to double check that, and I'll let you guys know the results of this. <laughs> okay. This was two years ago, so it really doesn't matter now. Yeah. But no, no, I'm I'm always willing to look and see if I've misunderstood a rule, and if that's the case, then I because I've talked to other dungeon masters, and I'm in like multiple, and I looked it up, and it she should have still had the low health when she transformed. With with the different animals, a lot of them have a max health that's higher than the character itself. So if they transform into an animal with higher max health, they do get that higher health just because of that. And like I said, I'm certainly willing to do some yeah. research on my own and double check this rule. I just felt like as a villain, there obviously I wasn't meant to win, but it made it like impossible for me to do anything. Yeah. She's the Druid class, particularly that um, version of the Druid class, has a lot of very, very nice features. Regular Druids, they're, they get more powerful spells and stuff like that. But the one she picked is very focused on that wild shape, that ability to turn into bigger and better forms. So yeah. instead of her turning into something with that was like a dog with 10 HP, she turned into a grizzly with 50 HP or something. Yeah, it just feels like it would make it impossible for that to be a character for other people to play with. Well, or for villains to be. Well, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's always a bit of a hit, and your character was... A single character against a group of six. So if you oh, would... I would have been. I was fine with dying. Yeah. I was only mad that I almost had <laughs> Alyssa killed, and I felt like she had an unfair advantage. Also, just saying, we also weren't doing how we agreed to add it up right because I was using metal weapons and water and electricity, so I should have been getting an even extra hit. But that's neither here nor there. All right. I just have a good memory. <laughs> 
Because remember, I, so when, I, when we played, about what you I picked out an electric lady, and then, well, he picked out an electric lady for me, and then I made her have all metal on and all metal weapons and water power so that, because when she attacked, everything conducted electricity. So this is something that I actually run into once in a while with characters is a question of whether something would give them an advantage based on some stuff that's not really in the rules. And certain spells, with electricity per se, will say if this character is wearing metal, then you deal more damage. And certain spells don't. So there's the question of, well, they're wearing metal. Do I, do I deal more damage? And what I generally try and do is I'll rule that if a player comes up with something that makes sense but would be broken in the rules, would be completely overpowered and would throw the whole game off, then I'll let them get away with it once and just let them know that in the future they, they won't be able to pull that off a second time. That way players get to feel like they got that extra advantage, they got something over, and got away with something they weren't quite supposed to, but in the future you don't get to, to have that hit every time. I also think that if I ever come back and play another game, that I should start at a higher class than everybody else, since it's one against six. Because I started at yes. the same class as everybody else when I played, and I never played before. That's certainly reasonable. I think I did pretty good for having yeah, played actually. before. She did a lot of damage. She made a very impressive showing. So that's that's definitely worth taking note. And I would have had Alyssa killed had we played right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just using. Um, we will. You will have to look into that though. So we're getting to about that time. So any last things you really want to say about D and D? If I had to to drill it all down and say the one thing that I always want to convey to anyone who's looking at D and D or who's playing D and D is to remember that D&D is a game about cooperative storytelling. It is a game in which you and the players try and tell a interesting world and tell the tale of these heroes who went on an adventure. And maybe it's a tragic story and the heroes don't succeed, or maybe it's a comedy story in which the heroes manage to pull off absurd feats, or maybe it's something big and dramatic and skin of your teeth all the time. But if you talk to your players and you say what it is that you're trying to accomplish and everyone's on the same page, then you'll have a much better time. You'll enjoy the game a lot more. Here at the Tabletop Game Gal podcast, we like to end every episode with a question that people can tweet me the answers. So do you want to come up with a question? What are the stories that you want to tell? that you've never really found a game that you could really explore those, that you could really live out that fantasy. What is it you really want to be? So you can tweet me that answer at TabletopGameGal on Twitter. Thank you for joining me, Shane, and thank you guys for joining us today. Have a great night. As always, you can rate and review us on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. If you didn't enjoy the show, then you just go on with your day and don't worry about the rating and reviewing process. Have a great night, y'all.